Good morning, brothers. I uh, want to add my thanks to all that that's already been given. I want to thank you for your faithfulness, which is a great encouragement to me and to Barton and to George. Uh, you guys, uh, you men gift us um, with this privilege to, to teach and lead, and it's, it's, a, it's a blessing for our own personal spiritual lives. I can say that for me, this study on prayer um, this semester has, has, um, has done a lot in my own heart and in my own practice and my own thoughts and my relationship with the Lord. And, and again, I don't, I don't know that I would have been as disciplined to do this except that you all have an expectation that uh, we do this well. And so thank you for your, for your encouragement in that way. And again, your faithfulness. I always, you know, I've, I've been at Amen long enough to know that, hey, if you're here attending Amen in May, then, uh, then you're, the real, you're the real soldiers. You're the real um, Marines of this whole thing. If you can hang on uh, to May. I love that song. I asked James if we could sing that song. Interestingly, about that song, I Need Thee Every Hour, um, uh, I guess this is probably 100 or so years ago, that uh, pastor in Chicago at a large prayer meeting, Dr. Uh, Henry Vowry, had just mentioned that, he, that they had sung that song. And then he mentioned, he goes, I don't really like that song because I think to myself, I don't need, just need Jesus like every hour. I need Jesus every minute. Well, there was a guy there, uh, Major D.A. Whittle, who was, was impacted by that statement, and he ended up writing the hymn moment by moment. Uh, and I thought, well, <laughs> that's exactly right. I do need you every hour. I also need Jesus moment by moment. This, uh, this next year, um, we are going to be uh, studying together in here the Gospel of John. I'm very excited about this. Bart and I are talking about this a lot. We've been thinking about this for over a year um, because there's, there's things in the Gospel of John uh, that I think we need at this time uh, in the history of the church and in our lives. Um, not only is it a, an opportunity for us to sink deeply into the gospel, but the way John crafts his gospel, driven by the, uh, the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, is different than the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I know that in some ways we're very familiar with the gospel of John. I actually think there's a lot of ways in which we're not familiar with some of the, the, the riches that are there for us as men and how we live out our lives and what that looks like. And there's an intimacy there that I think we need. We're going to even see that this morning. Um, it's going to be brought out by the relationship Paul has with the Lord that is, as we read and study, certainly as I read and study, I look and go, I want that. I, I want those, those natural impulses that Paul have uh, the way he looks at life, the way he looks at others, the way he looks at himself, the way he looks at his Lord. I want those to be a part of what I experienced too. And you see though, those in the Apostle John, um, the way that the way that the relationship he had with Jesus was uh, was unique in its in its intimacy uh, because of John's personality. Obviously, the Lord can have that kind of depth of, of relationship with any of us. So I'm excited about us looking at that. And and again, I would encourage you not to just go, oh yeah, John, I've read John, I know John. And, I think it's an opportunity for us to, uh, to dig deep and find things that, that we maybe never thought of before and be impacted for our time and what we're doing here. So be looking for that. I would even encourage you in preparation for it to, uh, to make that a part of your reading plan this summer. 
hey, I'm gonna read through, I'm gonna read through John. Some of you who are really good at that and on top of that, um, you might read through it twice. <laughs> um, people more like me, I'll get through it this summer uh, together. And then that'll set us up when we start meeting again in the fall. Love for you to turn in your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I would have liked to have had us, uh, more opportunity for us to look at the prayers of Paul, because there's three or four of them that I'd like to, to teach on or have us look at. But we're gonna, we only have the opportunity for one, so we're going to look at this one in Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to see here, and it's in every place that Paul prays, we'll, we'll see that, that we're getting to see his heart. We're getting to see what's at the core of who he is. In fact, um, as one person said, hey, if, if what comes out of a, a man's mouth when he's talking in conversation is what's in his head, helps us understand what's in his head, then what you hear coming from a man when he prays gives you an, incline, uh, an, an inside look at his heart. And I think when you hear Paul pray, when you see Paul praying, you get an uh, insight into his heart. I think that's true for all of us. I remember years ago, um, I was a young youth pastor in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and we had taken this group of high school students to this, uh, this big summer outreach event down in Jekyll Island, Florida called Fun in the Sun. And we took this one guy, Mitch, who, uh, who was invited with, uh, with his friend Terry. Mitch didn't know the Lord. Mitch didn't come from a Christian home. He had no Christian background whatsoever. And about the third night we were there, we were there for a week, um, Mitch was impacted by the gospel and he gave his life to Christ. Uh, he was a junior in high school at the time. He was a uh, really sharp guy, excellent athlete, very smart. Just a, you know, even before he knew Christ, he was just a fun guy to be around. He comes to know Christ and within 24 hours, you can just see the Holy Spirit just change this guy. It was so fun to see and actually so um, interesting to watch. And, you know, we would every night with the group that we were had, it was only a group of about 10 or 15 people, uh, students that night, and we were in this, this kind of Airbnb setup. Um, we would uh, pray together that night. Before becoming to know Christ, of course, Mitch never prayed. We always, in fact, I was always worried that Mitch was going to feel uncomfortable at the prayer, uh, but he never prayed. But I remember the, the, the night after the night he came to know Christ, and he was so excited about his relationship with Christ, and uh, again, you could already see the change in him. And Mitch starts to pray during the time we're all just praying. And, and here's the thing. Again, Mitch didn't grow up in the church. He had no church background. So he didn't know, he didn't know all the prayer words, right? He didn't, know how to, he didn't know how to go about it. He didn't have the form. And it was awesome because Mitch was just like, uh, uh, dear God, I think that's what I call you. Um, man, I just want to thank you, uh, you know, for loving me. And um, man, I think I can say that, you know, he's just, he's going through this whole thing. And, you know, the other students are, are kind of wondering, are you allowed to talk to God this way? And I was loving it because I'm like, yes, you can talk to God. This is all he knows. This is just his heart. And he was saying, God, just, man, I just thank you for this, this day that you give me these friends. He's going on and on. He's like, and uh, I, mean, I guess that's the end. Um, and then he goes, oh, oh, and wait. God, thank you. You know, that putt on number 14 you gave me today, man, it was really great. I really appreciate you giving me that. And, uh, you know, again, I see some of the kids kind of open their eyes looking at me like, are you allowed to say that to God? And, uh, and I loved it. Somebody asked me, one of the students asked me about it later, and I said, no, you know what? He just prayed his heart, 
He genuinely believed in his new relationship with the Lord, that the Lord is with him. And the only reason, I don't even know what the putt was like. I didn't go golfing with him that day. But it was just his heart, and it was just coming out in the words that he had. And I think all of us, the reality is when we're praying by ourselves, particularly, what comes out, I think, is what is on our heart. And so I want us to be thinking, even as we read this this morning, what's on your heart when you pray? What's on your heart when you pray? And maybe who is on your heart when you pray? Right here, we get a glimpse into Paul's heart. What's on his heart and who's on his heart? Let me read, beginning in verse 14 of Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You see in your notes there, as we, we take apart this prayer, as we, we look at the aspects of Paul's prayer, these five pieces that I want us to see. And uh, I'm not usually good. as a, I know pastors who are just amazing at alliterating. It just worked out for me today that they all begin with P. So that was, that was awesome. Um, but that's not usually how I roll. But nevertheless, maybe it helps us remember. First of all, I just want us to see the prompting there in verse uh, beginning of verse 14. What, what brings him to prayer? What, what causes him to prayer? He says at the beginning, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees. Well, what reason? What's the reason that he was doing that? The answer really is in chapters 1 and 2. Now, you'll notice at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, he starts at the beginning of chapter 3, for this reason, I, Paul, most scholars would say that they believe that Paul was thinking about where he was going in verse 14, but as he was writing that, he was also thinking about what he had just said in chapter 2, and he was so full of encouragement about the gospel that he had been given and the gospel that he had the privilege to teach and be a minister of that it actually kept his, he, it derailed his thinking for a second. He's like, well, let me talk about this a little bit, and then went back. So it's really at the very end of chapter 2, that we see the the reason. And look at where it says in verse 13. I'll begin reading there. Paul writes this, chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For God himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I bow my knees. So he's saying, do you see what God has done? Now, there, there might be some of you in here who are both, who, who coming out of a background of being both ethnically and religiously Jewish. But my guess is most of us in here are not coming out of that background. And Paul is saying to us, do you realize the gospel has come to you wherever you were? And God has sought you out. And he's going to put you in his family. And he's going to take you and make you and me a dwelling place for his spirit. Those great pictures of the Old Testament temple and Solomon's temple and all the beauty and the glory of where God's uh, presence came to rest, that doesn't exist anymore. Instead, you and me, we are being built up into that. God is going to rest in his church and dwell in us for this reason. (laughs) I'm going to pray about you and your experience. I want you to experience this. I want you to experience this. He's overwhelmed by the mercy and grace of God and it causes him to fall to his knees and pray for the people of God that that, that they would know the reality of this, not just know it, because that's what he asked for in chapter one, that you would know, have the knowledge. But now he's saying, I want you to experience it. I want it to be part of your life. That's what's prompting him to pray. It's a selfless prayer, right? In other words, when he sees the mercy of grace of God, his, his first inclination is not to pray for himself. When he sees the mercy and grace of God, Paul's first inclination is to pray for his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's his first response when he's overwhelmed by the mercy and grace of God. That's his prompting, the mercy and grace of God. The persons, what are the persons involved in this prayer? Two, we see the Father and we see his family. He begins, and we looked at this, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, Father. I couldn't wait to tell Mitch, hey, when you talk to God, you can actually call him your Father, your Heavenly Father. You've experienced his love, and he's not asking you to to treat him as someone far off. You can actually have that intimacy with him. It's interesting to note here that it says, For this reason, I bow my knees. The normal way, the normal way that we see prayer happening, particularly in the Old Testament, the people of God prayed like this, standing with their arms up. That was the normal way they prayed, the regular way. We see here Paul saying, I'm so overwhelmed by the grace of God that that I want to take this stance. I'm, I'm just humbled by it. And I'm, and I'm falling, I'm falling at your feet. And I'm calling you father, like you are my father. There's an intimacy there. And then family. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the way the ESV has chosen to translate uh, the Greek here. Because you'll see in verse 15, it says, From whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And that gives you the, it makes you feel like what, what Paul is saying is that Every family, every person somehow is derived from the Heavenly Father. Is that about creation? Is that, you know, some others might mistranslate it as as some form of universalism. A better translation here, it would be the Father's family or the whole family of the Father. Because if you see it in the Greek, it's actually a play on words. 
uh, both the way he uses father and the way he uses family because he, he, it really literally is like the father's family. So the point here is not just everyone, but that it's the father's family. It's God's family. It's his family. And again, we see here Paul's selflessness. When he sees the mercy and grace of God, it prompts him to pray for the people of God. And it's not only that prompting of the mercy and grace, but he has a deep affection for God's people. He has a deep love for God's people. Turn back just one page or so in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and notice how he begins that other prayer in chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And you see it in Philippians, and you see it in Colossians. Even people he had never met, when he heard about them, the mercy and grace of, of God in Paul's life just caused him to have a deep affection for God's people, to deeply love them, and, and, and to, to, to want to thank God for them. And again, I'm, I'm convicted personally about this because I think, gosh, what? My natural instinct is when I'm overwhelmed with the mercy and grace of God, when I see how wonderful it is, I want to pray something for myself. That's my inclination. Rather than to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to, I need to do that. I need to be more selfless. But I'm also, I'm also convicted by Todd. Don't you want to have God work in you a deep affection for his people? And I know that in our sanctifying process, God does that. And I've told you this many, many times before. Outside of my wife, my, my closest friend, my deepest affection is for my, my one and only brother. And he and I, we're, we're very close. But if he were not a believer then the reality, the cosmic reality is that I am closer, I would be closer to you than I would be to my brother. That would be the cosmic reality because the blood of Christ overwhelmingly supersedes the blood of the Erickson family. And we are ultimately only knit together, really, in our relationship in Christ. That's what makes us brothers, and I'm so grateful that, he, that it's there. So here the persons that we see, Paul's intimacy with the Father, his deep love for God's family, those two things shape his prayer. Intimacy with God, a deep love for God's family, that's what shapes Paul's prayers. That's what I want to shape my prayers. I want my prayers shaped by an intimacy with the Lord that I have and a, and a deep love for God's family. Now, moving on to the petitions. So what does he ask? What is Paul going to ask here uh, in regards to the family of God. Two things he asked. First of all, he asked for strength for transformation in God's people and then strength for comprehension. Um, we're going to change that a little bit when we get to it, but let's just start with the strength for transformation. Okay, let, let's look at verses 16 and 17. Look at the words there. Paul says that according to the riches of God's glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the first petition. That out of his riches of glory, God would grant us 
God's people to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit, because Spirit is capitalized there, inside us, that something would work inside us. And I think the key words there for us are the Holy Spirit, Spirit, the inner being, this is taking place inside us, and that Christ may dwell in our hearts, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. What Paul is praying for here is for the spiritual transformation to continue to take place in us. And that spiritual transformation is that Christ comes and, and at salvation, so at the moment Mitch was saved, that, that night, Christ began to make his home in Mitch. So he walks into Mitch's house, so to speak, and he's going to begin to make it a home for himself, make it a home for Christ. Now, Mitch and you and me, when we came to know Christ, we were not, we, we, there was a lot to clean up in the house. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot to, to transfer. If it was going to be a, a home, a house for the Holy Spirit, for the Lord himself, then there had to be transformation taking place in our lives. And so Paul is praying, I want, I want the, the Holy Spirit to work inside you in such a way, um, in fact, the word is that you'd be, uh, uh, what, what the Greek word, the phrase was, uh, uh, mightily strengthened that, that there would be a, a uh, your spiritual house that you are that God would, would um, take what's flimsy <laughs> and transform it into a household of the Holy Spirit and I want and he wants us to experience that to become, to become a mighty house and a home for the Lord and so um, Paul wants them to experience the knowledge that he talks about in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Uh, or excuse me, yeah, chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. He says, I want you to know your eyes of your heart to be enlightened. Now he's saying, I want you to experience the transformation. I'm praying for transformation. And then he prays or petitions God that they would have strength for comprehension. Now this bugged me all week long. I didn't like the word comprehension. I'm like, what is that? And it was actually just this morning at 5.30 a.m. I'm like, I'm just not. Is that what it says in the Greek? So I went and looked. And actually the Greek word there is apprehension. That, that, that you might have strength to apprehend with all the saints. I think that is better. And I'm, I'm, I'm still, I haven't had enough time to read to figure out why do they put comprehension why do I say apprehension is better comprehension? Because you and I don't ever, we'll never have the capacity to completely comprehend the love of God that, that has no boundaries, right? Like, <laughs> we could apprehend it, but we couldn't comprehend it in the same way that because God is truly God and we are his created beings, we can, as my seminary professor said, you and I can apprehend God, but we couldn't comprehend God. We can, we can touch the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can experience him as he reveals himself to us, but we can never completely wrap our arms around everything that God is. We're created beings. That's not possible. So I actually like that better. <laughs> Maybe that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, God, your love is so immense and so great. It has no boundaries. And I... Can you give them strength to just apprehend it, to understand a little more? 
Would you, would you expand their ability to, to see that? And the key here, the key words in the verse that we have, and the, the, the part, the second petition begins in the middle of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love, so that's our salvation, so we're grounded in love, now may have strength to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The key in here are in love. Okay, so the whole issue is God's love. The next key is the, is the uh, um, description he gives of God's love and the contrast, right? So there's the description of the, the, the height, the breadth, the length, and the depth. Like, I want you to see the expanse. And then the contrast is the love that surpasses knowledge. It's greater than any knowledge. So that's the love he wants us to see. And then the last thing he says, so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is he talking about here? He's talking about spiritual maturity. If the first one is talking about transformation, now he's praying, God, would you help them understand how immense your love is so that they can grow on to maturity? That's fascinating to me, brothers. That it's an understanding of God's love that actually helps us to mature as sons of God. That what we need most is not more doses of his law. What we need most in order to move on to maturity and move on in obedience, what we need most is a greater grasp, a greater apprehension of his love. If we can get that, Paul thinks, then they can experience the fullness of God. They can grow in maturity if they could really understand how much God loves them and what God's love actually means. And so Paul's petition here, as he thinks about these people he loves, it's a spiritual petition, right? He doesn't pray for their safety or for their provision of material needs. Now, we're allowed to pray those things, right? Because Jesus, when he taught his disciples, said we could pray for daily bread. But you'll be hard-pressed to find prayers in your Bible that pray for health and safety. They're just not there. <laughs> in fact, even when you look at those prayers in the Old Testament where God's people are surrounded by enemies that are attacking them, the prayer... That like Hezekiah's prayer is a prayer for God's glory. It's a prayer for that, that God would be glorified, that, that God would show himself strong. And of course, we looked at that prayer in Acts a few weeks ago when they were facing persecution, and they didn't pray for safety. They prayed for boldness. Now again, brothers, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want any of us to feel guilty when you say, Lord, would you, would you please heal my wife from cancer? Would you please do that? I don't, we can pray that. Lord, would you please provide? I, I, I don't know. Man, my, I'm struggling in my finances. Lord, I, I need you to help provide. We can pray that. I'm not, I'm not in any way saying we shouldn't pray that. What I am saying is that the priority of our prayers, particularly as we pray for the people that we love, needs to be spiritual in mindset. 
The spiritual needs are greater. And Paul prays for the spiritual needs of God's people. He prays it for an internal work, not an external work. He prays kingdom things, right? He's wanting to work the kingdom in them. So turn over in your Bibles. Jesus talks about this. Turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. A couple years ago when we were in Matthew, maybe you remember this. Or you maybe just remember from your own reading, your own memorization. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and is thrown, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall I wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He isn't saying, don't pray about those things. He's saying, don't, don't fret so much about those things. I got you. And then he says this, but seek first. He doesn't seek, say seek only. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I've got three adult kids. The oldest is 32. Youngest is 26. Um, you know, just a whole new level of stress. Different stresses than when they were, you know, I, I thought it couldn't get more stressful when they, than when they were five. You know, and then they were 10. I'm like, well, I can't get any more stressful than this. And then they're 16. I'm like, well, definitely can't get any more stressful than this. And then when they're 20, I'm like, well, okay, maybe, you know, it'll get better. Oh, and, you know, and again, you just... Meet my need of maturity, probably, and maybe it's partially my desire for love. But I'll tell you what the Lord has continued to work in me. My prayers, <laughs> my prayers have changed for them. I think in my, in my maturing, by God's grace and my sanctification, I've gone from praying from, for external things for them more worldly things. And now, honestly, <laughs> I just want God to work in their hearts these things. I don't care where they live. I don't care what their job is. I don't, I've just got to a place where I'm like, and again, the Lord's gotten me there through a lot of my own sin and suffering. I just want them to have this. Because if they have this, then the other stuff just doesn't matter. I can't control whether or not they keep a job or lose a job. I can't control whether or not they, they succumb to temptation or don't. I can't control um, what decisions they make that are wise or that are going to cost them a lot of pain and hardship for the next decade. I can't control that. But I know that if the Lord is working transformation and working maturity in their lives, that it's all going to be okay. And I think what... 
Paul's prayers teach us is that that needs to, it teaches us seek first. This is what God's people need most. And I would say to you, brothers, for the people that you love, that, that the people that are on your mind when you pray, what they need most, more than anything, more than all the rest combined, what they need most is that they would be strengthened with power in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. What they need most is to apprehend the height and the depth and the, and the length and the breadth of the love of God and to, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that they might be filled with the fullness of God. That's what your, that's what your best friend needs most. That's what your spouse needs most. That's what your kids need most. That's what your grandchildren need most. And if they have that, it doesn't matter what else happens. It just doesn't matter. Because the Lord will take care of them. Lord's got them. And I say that with passion because I'm, I'm preaching to my own heart. I'm trying to remind myself, Todd, when you go to your knees in prayer for God's people, for the people you love, seek first his kingdom. May it be spiritual, internal, and kingdom-minded. That's the petitions of Paul. Well then, on to number four, praise Verse 20, it just burst out in praise. Paul does this so many places. It's almost like, like, you know, at least there's the word now there in verse 20. So at least you kind of understand where Paul's thinking. Sometimes it just seems like he just jumps to just expressions of praise. It's always interesting to me when, when I've led a lot of different prayer groups. I've been in a lot, even adult prayer groups. We had one here uh, this past um, week ago, Wednesday, in here, our monthly prayer time. And, uh, you know, there's always some form of, you know, maybe you've seen it, the words, the acronym PRAY, P-A-R-P-R-A-Y. You know, so you go, we're going to start with praise, then we're going to go to repentance, then we're going to ask for others, then we're going to ask for yourself. So P-R-A-Y. Or some people use the word ACTS, right? And it's going to be adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And even as adults, isn't it fascinating? We, most of the prayer groups I've been in, we really struggle with the P and the A, the praise and the adoration, right? We're like, can we just move on to the repentance and confession because I got a lot to say there. <laughs> Even the thanksgiving. Man, I got some stuff to say there. But we really do seem to struggle with the, with the praise and the adoration. But you know who doesn't struggle with the praise and the adoration? Paul. <laughs> Paul doesn't struggle at all with this. In fact, he seems to be regularly bursting forth into that. You know, so here, it's like he's praying this, and he's like, now to him who's able to do more, far more abundantly than all we ask or think. It's like this doxology that he goes into. Or you know that passage in Philippians that we love, Philippians 2? He says, have this attitude, have this attitude among you that was also yours in Christ Jesus, that though he be in the form of God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped. The whole thing starts with him saying, listen, I want you to have unity in the body of Christ. I want you to, now look at the example of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Paul is like off talking about the glory of Christ who is obedient to the point of death. And therefore, God has raised him from the dead and given him a name that's above every name. That at the, I mean, it's just like, 
boom. And even as scholars write about that, they're like, okay, which way do we go with this? Are we going to go with the, are we going to preach this praise part? Are we going to preach this, this um, you know, we got to live out the humility of Christ? Or in Romans, Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, some of the most difficult uh, passages of Scripture to, to really grasp and understand. Paul's wrestling with what is, what, what's going on with the Jewish people? Why, what, what's going to happen to them? And he's talking about the sovereignty of God, and he's working through the sovereignty of God. And then at the end of chapter 11, it, it, he just stops at verse 33 and just goes, Oh, oh, the riches of God's wisdom that are far by. And he just bursts out into praise. Just bursts out into doxology. Man, brothers, I want that to be in in my life. And I look and I read the epistles and I'm like, you know, that's, that's because of the intimacy that Paul had with the Lord through his word and through prayer. That Paul knew God's word, that he was, he was sinking deeply every day in God's word, that he clearly had a deep prayer life. You know, it's possible, which this would have been funny to me, that when Paul is well, he's, when he's writing Ephesians, he's, he's in house arrest. It's possible that, that some of that time he might have been chained to, uh, to a, a soldier. <laughs> and here's Paul, like, there's the guy, he's assigned Paul. And Paul's just like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray now. <laughs> you know, and so he's just going to kneel and start praying because he's just going to bow with the chain on his hand. But that's the intimacy and then I'm sure he burst into praise because that's, what, that's just what comes out of Paul. That's just what, I want that to come out of me. I want that to come out of me. And then finally, the purpose. The purpose of his prayers, the purpose of really everything is found to him be glory. To God be glory. To the triune God be glory. Both all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are here in this passage. To the triune God be glory through his church. Brothers, that's the reason for everything. The reason for everything, everything, is the glory of the triune God through his church. That is the reason for everything. That is the reason for creation. That's why God created why he created the earth, why he created you and me, why he created human beings. It is for his glory. That's the reason for our salvation. It is true that he died for you because he loved you. He died for me because he loved me. But ultimately, ultimately, he did that for God's glory. That's the ultimate reason he went to the cross. The ultimate reason, he, it is because he loved us, but the ultimate reason is for God's glory. That's the reason for the cross. That's the reason for the church. Certainly the church blesses us. Certainly the fellowship that we enjoy is for us, for many of us, it's family. But the ultimate purpose, the ultimate reason for the church is God's glory. The ultimate reason for your existence and my existence, the reason we exist, the reason we were created, is for his glory. The ultimate purpose, reason for your salvation and my salvation, that Christ came into your heart and came in my heart, is for his glory. That's the reason. That's the core reason. The ultimate purpose, if, if God has given you a spouse, if he's given you, put you in a family, 
and you have family, the ultimate reason you have that is for His glory. The ultimate reason why you and I are still living is for His glory. Why, why hasn't He taken us home? Why once we're saved doesn't He take us on to be with Himself? Because He has a work for us to do for His glory. That's why we're still here. That's the reason. The reason you and I are not in heaven right now for His glory. That's the reason for Christ's return. For his glory. Yes, it's because he loves us and he wants to take us home. That's true. But ultimately, it's for his glory. And the reason for all of eternity, that we will enjoy him for all eternity, is his glory. That is the reason for everything. And Paul, in so many places, makes that clear. And certainly in his prayers, he's constantly making that clear. This is it. This is why we pray. This, this is how it forms our prayers. That our prayer would be about God's... I'm going to pray and ask for the things that I think will bring glory to God. That's what i got to pray. That's how i got to think. And we began this series on January 5th. We'd just gone through this terrible ice storm where we felt like we were battling every day just to save our pipes from bursting and find water. <laughs> and we talked about the battle that prayer is, or the battle that causes us to go to prayer. And we looked at Joshua 5. Remember that? We started with Joshua 5. Where Joshua is the night before he's going to go to battle for, against Jericho. He's out scoping out the walls. Trying to figure out strategically how he could breach the walls with his military mind. And he comes across... He doesn't know this, but he comes across a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity. He just thinks it's some guy. <laughs> and he immediately gets ready to battle this guy, and he says to, this, to, this, uh, to the Lord, he doesn't realize it yet, whose side are you on? Are you for them or for us? <laughs> and remember, how the Lord responds? He says, no. <laughs> but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua, who was facing battle, immediately falls on his knees and begins to worship the Lord. And that there becomes not only the preparation for the battle, but that becomes the real battle. That's where it's won in that moment. Brothers, that is our battle position. That's what we've talked about all this semester. Even in the prayers leading up to this, we talked about another incident in Memphis. We're burdened by so much and we are in the midst of a battle, but the battle position that is the only one that truly matters is on our knees Seeking the glory of God for our family, our friends, our city, our nation, and the world. That's how we battle. Now let's go from this place and every day, every week, let's battle like that. Let's battle like Joshua on our knees seeking God's glory. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this semester that you've given us. Thank you for your word. 
Lord, that we get to hold it, that we get to possess it ourselves, that we get to study it, memorize it. Thank you, Father. Thank you for that you've revealed yourself and you've sought to transform us in our inner beings by the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that you desire for us to understand or to apprehend, I should say, all the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of your love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, Father, work those things in us. Work those things in the people that we love. And Father, teach us in the days, in the weeks, in the years ahead, as much time as you give us on this earth. Lord, may we be shaped for battle on our knees. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.